Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I'm trying to present truth that people can decide whether they want to believe it or not. And I kind of teach it like this. Kind of like the news. I'll report, you decide. Is that fair enough? And we'll look into the scriptures and we'll see some things. Now, I really do think that sometimes truth can make you mad before it makes you free. Anybody ever had something that you heard that was like, okay, that just really kind of made me a little bit, uh, and then you start really thinking about it. And much of some of the things that I'm going to share, I actually tried not to see because it would make me a whole lot popular if I could see it the way some of them see it. But uh, uh, I guess I'm, 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 I'm giving too many disclaimers here at the beginning. But uh, let me just tell you about my journey. We're going to start in the scriptures, and I've given them a list of scriptures tonight. But let me just tell you about my journey. I, I was telling Pastor Lubby in the, uh, in the uh, green room back there that I really began to question a lot of things when I was 16 years old. I turned 65 today, by the way. And I was thinking, I probably started coming here when I was in my late 30s or early 40s. And really what connected me to Pastor Barry especially was our uh, same views over eschatology. I knew it was a passion for him, it was a passion for me. And we played a lot of golf and we'd talk about these kind of things and share things. And then, you know, um, we, we started coming here and uh, teaching and ministering and just build a relationship with his family. This is kind of like home to me. So I kind of feel like I'm at home here and I do appreciate the opportunity. This really is a subject that I really get excited about. I love teaching this. I have been for the last several years meeting in private with leaders all over the country. Some of them are heads of entire organizations and meeting with them in private. And two years ago, I felt like the Lord said, okay, it's time to take it to a more bigger audience. And so we started doing events and we did one in Birmingham last year and we just finished one in uh, near Kansas City last uh, or the first of, of October. And uh, ministry and people from everywhere beginning to come and ask some questions and take a look at some things in a fresh way. And let me just tell you something. I think that what we're going to see is that God is a whole lot bigger than we thought he was. Would that offend you if God was bigger than you thought he was? If he got a whole lot more victorious than you dreamed he could possibly be? What if I tell you we win? Hallelujah. Let, let's get on this journey a little bit because there's a lot of stuff to cover. And I'm going to be more meticulous to teach. This is going to be a seminar style. And I might, you know, I might get excited after a while and rear back and preach for a couple of seconds. But I really want to kind of meticulously go through some things so that you can kind of follow along and think for yourself. Like I said, when I was 16, I used to sit in churches. And in those days, there was a lot of fear being taught. And I can remember the videos and the stuff from, like, uh, you know, that they would show us in church. And, man, I can remember going home, Pastor Lubby, and literally crying myself to sleep for fear. And I would go, and I was a young Christian, and so, uh, you know, I, I would go home, and I thought to myself, uh, as I said in many of those meetings, I would think, something about this is not right. I don't know what is right, but I know this isn't. So I started asking questions, and then I would ask questions, and then I'd start to get some answers. And then at that time, I would go to my pastor, and I would say, well, what about this? And he'd say, be careful, now you're getting deceived. And I'm thinking, well, that's why I'm asking you. 
And I'm like, okay, you know, but what, what about this? And what I discovered after a little while is he didn't know himself. Now, let me just say that when I teach this, I don't try to attack other people's views or I don't try to attack other ways of seeing these because I believe everybody does the best they can with what they know. But what happens is, is when we start to get, I believe we are in a day when God is about to do something that's way bigger than revival. Now, I'm not opposed to revival, but I believe we're in one of the most massive reformations of human history, and it's time for us not to play on the sidelines. We're either going to have to get on board with God's purpose and God's plan, or we're going to have to get out of the way. That's all there is to it. And I believe that God's plan is new creation, and it's an ongoing uh, uh, plan that he has. But let me just tell you some of the things that, first of all, begin to uh, make me think. If you will turn with me in your Bible, and if, they, they have the, if the media team has some of the stuff I sent you, the first scripture is Hebrews chapter 1. Verse number 1 and 2 was one of the first things that began to catch my attention. Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 says, God who at sundry times... And in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, say this with me, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. How many know Jesus is going to get his inheritance? He's the heir of all things by whom also he made the world. And so let me just say this, because I have to stress this point. Context. And audience relevance is everything. A text out of context is just a con. And we've had a lot of text out of context. Paul is writing to Hebrews. How do I know that? It's the title of the book. He's writing to first century Hebrews in about 66 to 67 A.D., They are 30-some years into the New Testament, or into the New Covenant, I'm sorry, into the New Covenant. Jesus was crucified about 30-some years prior to this, and they are in this great transition out of an Old Covenant and into the New Covenant. And the whole book of Hebrews is about what is better about the New Covenant than the Old one. Jesus is better than Moses, he's better than Joshua, he's better than Levi, there's a better tabernacle, there's better blood, there's better promises, there's better faith, there's a better city. It's all right to say amen. Everything about it, he's showing you what's better about the new covenant. But what I want you to see is that this apostle, this caught my attention, because what we do is we go to these scriptures with preconceived ideas, and we read the scripture, God hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. And immediately we take our mind to 2022 of the events that we saw on the news this afternoon, and we say, boy, this is the last days, except this apostle wasn't talking to us. See, it's too awful quiet in here for me. He was talking to first century Hebrews, and Paul, if that's who the writer is, and just for the assumption here, it's either him or Barnabas probably, but he's saying to his audience, God has... In these last days, spoken to us by the Son, whom he hath made heir of all things. So here's here's the first thing that caught my attention is this apostle believed he was living in the last days of something. If you think that's fair, say amen. So he was was declaring God hadn't. That's that's past tense. That's not something he's going to do. 
That's something he's already done. So I thought to myself, well, Paul was beat a lot. He was let down over walls and baskets. He was spent a lot of time in Roman jails. He was shipwrecked, snake bit, perils of the sea, perils of most false brethren. I thought, well, maybe this guy was just beat so much he just thought he was living in the last days. And that's what some prophecy teachers will tell you is that these guys believed they were living in the last days. And everybody has to believe they're living in the last days. To which I reply, if they believed they were living in the last days and they were wrong about that, what else were they wrong about? Let's suppose they were not wrong at all. Let's suppose, as the Scripture is saying, let's use Scripture and compare Scripture with Scripture and consider the possibility that they were in fact living in the last days of something. Let me just let me just let me say this to you. This is kind of a, a boom statement, but but what over the next couple of days, and I really hope you can be in every one of these things because I'm going to pack a lot of information in this, and there's no way I can exhaust this subject anyway. But when, when these guys were standing here believing that they were living in the last days, let me just say this to you. Everything that you probably have been taught about end time stuff and last days, stay with me a minute, everything you've been taught about the last days is probably right, except that you have the end at the wrong spot. And this is what to me was a game changer is when I started saying this was the last days. But it was not the last days of a cosmic collapse or a global calamity. It was the last days of an old covenant. God was about to give birth to a new covenant. So I thought to myself, well, here's Paul. Maybe he was beat a lot, let down over baskets. Let's see if we could find any more apostolic witnesses that would say the same thing. So then I went to Acts chapter 2. These were scriptures that really began to make me think. And that's what I want to do tonight primarily. Acts chapter 2, verse number 16, the Holy Spirit had just been poured out. God began to uh, uh, pour out his spirit. They were speaking in tongues. God was uh, giving them the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he told them just 50 days prior to this in an upper room when they ate the Passover, he said to them, go to the upper room and in 50 days exactly, which was the Feast of Pentecost, there's going to come the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. They are, they're, they're, they're all talk, talking in tongues. They are speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit has just been poured out. They're receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2. And he said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So here we have the second apostolic witness. Here's the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, and he's saying, this is that. This isn't what's going to happen when there's a revival in Pensacola or Toronto. I'm not opposed to any of those revivals. But that's not what Peter was hanging his last day scriptures on. He was saying, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. How many know that's not what he was going to do in the future? That was what was happening on the day of Pentecost. How many know that wasn't this is what's going to be? He said, this is that. And how many know that with the this is that came the coming of the kingdom and they were waiting on the kingdom to come. Help me, Holy Ghost. See, I'm trying to preach a little bit here and I really want to kind of stay calm. 
But when John the Baptist preached, he said, repent, change the way you think because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is within your grasp. It's within your reach. And at that moment, the king of the kingdom walked down over the bank of the Jordan River and he said, behold, right there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How many of the king of the kingdom just came on the scene? And from that time on, Jesus began to preach the kingdom, said the kingdom is at hand. He said, every time I cast out a devil, every time I heal the sick, every time I raise the dead, then the the kingdom of God is come unto you. Come on, somebody. How many of we're not waiting on some kingdom way out there somewhere? We need to learn that there's some things. See, what's going to happen is through this uh, victorious eschatology, we're going to realize that there's a lot of stuff we've been waiting for some glad morning that we ought to be having right now. See, a procrastinator is somebody who won't take now for an answer. Hallelujah. Now, how many know that the prophet Isaiah also spoke, spoke concerning these people? He said, with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people, yet they will not hear me. And how many know he was talking that this was the sign that would come to unbelievers, but not just unbelieving Gentiles, but unbelieving Jews who were about to miss their Messiah and their king, that this was a sign to them that the kingdom was now coming in power because the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy, it's located in the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost just came, come on, how many know the kingdom was birthed and underway and the church was now on its way to its purpose and its destiny. And Peter stood up and said, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit. He called his day the last days. Here's two apostles who are not calling something way out in the future the last days. He's calling what was happening in the first century the last days because it was the last days again, not of a global collapse or a cosmic collapse. It was the last days of the Old Covenant. Are you tracking with me? And so when I begin to see that, in, it, it, it was, I've had people challenge me. The first time I ever taught this was probably, I don't know, probably at least 20-something years ago. I was in Temecula, California. And I titled this Gone with the Wind. Because there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. How many know in the Old Testament the wind came and the Red Sea was opened? And they crossed over. And you know what's amazing to me? is that was, they, they left Egypt delivered by the blood at Passover. Say Passover. They came to the bank of the Red Sea. They crossed the Red Sea, and they came to the foot of Mount Sinai exactly 50 days after the Passover. And, and see, 50, the reason the, the, the Pentecost is called the day of Pentecost is because the word Pentecost itself means 50, because the Feast of Pentecost came exactly 50 days after the Passover. Now watch this. In the Old Testament, they left delivered by the blood of a spotless lamb. They came through the Red Sea. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. God comes down on the cloud, wants to make a whole nation a priest out of the people. The people forfeit a personal relationship with God for a mediator system. And so God gives them rules because if you don't have a relationship, you've got to have rules. But the moment God gave the law at the foot of Mount Sinai, exactly 50 days after Passover, 3,000 people dropped dead. In the new covenant, the night before his decease, Jesus takes the bread and says, With great desire have I desired to eat this Passover. Why? Because there's another exodus about to take place here. The real lamb of God was on the scene, and this is the last time they'd ever have to kill a woolly lamb. And exactly 50 days after Jesus is crucified, they're in this upper room. 
And this time the wind comes not to cross the Red Sea, but the wind comes, come on, to divide the Old Covenant from the New Covenant. They cross over. God gives them the Holy Spirit. And this time, 3,000 are added to the church. Under the Old Covenant, the letter killed, 3,000 people dropped dead. In the New Covenant, 3,000 are added to the church. Why? Because under the Old Covenant, the letter kills. In the New Covenant, the Spirit gives life. It was the last days of an Old Covenant. The kingdom was now coming on the scene with power. Help me, Holy Ghost. I feel, this, I feel this stuff in my bones. We've got a whole lot more potential than we think we do. And then he was demanded of the scribes and Pharisees in John, Luke chapter 17. When will the kingdom come? He didn't say, Lord, when are we going to the kingdom? He said, when will the kingdom come? And he said, the kingdom does not come with your careful observations. What he's saying there is not that you can't see it. What he's saying is it doesn't come to the observances of old covenant rituals because the word observation there is the same Greek word that's used in the book of Galatians where he says, I'm afraid of you Galatians because you have gone back up under the law, touch not, taste not, handle not, and you observe laws and feasts and months. In other words, you think the kingdom's coming through the observation of old covenant rituals, but that didn't produce the kingdom. The Holy Ghost is the only thing that can produce the kingdom. What we need right now all over the world is a good dose of people filled with the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, who are kingdom subjects that, that know that there's a plan and a purpose for the church in the earth right now. And so God gives us a big case full of power tools to use to do exactly that, I think sometimes I'm going to come to church with a big box full of power tools and say, you know, we're like Tim the tool man. we got all these t- tools. We don't know how to use them. They're called gifts of the Spirit. And we don't know how to use them. Now, that's the second apostolic witness. Here's the third one. First John chapter 2. I don't want to belabor each one of these points, but I do want to kind of at least establish some scriptures here that make you at least think. First John chapter 2, verse 18. It said, little children... 1 John 2, 18, if you're taking notes, I think they're bringing them up on the screen. Little children, it is the last time. Now, how many know John is not writing to us? He's writing to people in the first century. Little children, it is the last time. And if you have heard, Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, here's three apostles. Paul says, God hath in these last days called his day the last days. Here's Peter standing on the day of Pentecost. This is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then we have the apostle John, three apostles that walked with Jesus. Paul didn't, but he, he saw the Lord. But here's John, the apostle, and he says, we, we know, we don't think it is. It's not an assumption for us. We know that it is the last time. Because Antichrist is already on the scene. And I've said it like this all over the world. That was before Osama, Obama, Chelsea's mama, or the last Trump. Because ever since I've been this high, I can tell you at least a dozen different antichrists. Some of you aren't even old enough to remember some of the antichrists I've been through. I, got, I saw somebody with a shirt on that I thought, i got to get me one of these. It says, I have survived at least 10 end of the world scenarios. And after they, the prophecies fail over and over and over again, and they go, whoops, saith the Lord, but we're going to write another book, I say this, at least consider the possibility that there may be another way to look at this. 
And I don't want to go straight for the juggler here tonight, but do you know most of us never, I, when I started studying and looking in the Word of God and just thought I believed what I believed because that's what everybody else believed, that's what I was taught, and there was no other views to this stuff. Started finding out that most of our dispensational pre-tribulation rapture theory is only a couple hundred years old. And it is the newest uh, version of eschatology. As a matter of fact, I believe it was Augustus who said in 300 at one of the main councils, he said, we will put the book of Revelation in the canon of Scripture as long as we never preach it as something that's futuristic. Now stay with me. I know I'm going to make you real nervous. But I'm going to show you a lot of proofs. Like I said, I'll report you decided if you leave here and say, I think this guy's crazy. We'll still be friends and we don't have to. Is that cool? Because what we believe about eschatology doesn't depend on whether or not we get to go to heaven. What it does do is change what we're about to do in the earth. What it does is change how we deal with where we're living. And, and, and you say, well, it's not important. It's so important that it's almost in every piece of Scripture through the Word of God. And once you get the pieces, all these Scriptures that didn't make sense before, all of a sudden they'll start to fit together. And I hope that's what happens when we hit some of this, what I call a high stage, like, well, that fits, that fits, that fits, without any stretching it or any kind of manipulation, but using good biblical, just reading what the writer said. These three writers all believed they were living in the last days of something. Can you say amen to that? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 7, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch under prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me, uh, uh, if you have one of the charts that have the, uh, the ends of the ages charts, is it possible to bring it up before too awful long here? Do you have the, the one with the two circles uh, and the media team? We're going we're gonna to need that as I start to read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now here's Paul writing to, again, he's writing to the first century church at Corinth. Again, remember, the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. Well, let me try it on this side. In other words, there's truth that is absolutely perpetual, but when he writes a letter to the church at Corinth, he's, it's going to have some relevance to the church at Corinth. If I wrote a letter to seven churches which are in Asia, the letter I wrote are going to have some relevance to seven churches that are in Asia. The fact that some of these battles in the book of Revelation are fought with horses ought to tell you this is first century stuff. And I'll get there in a moment, but Revelation, one of the things it says in the book of Revelation is these things are about to shortly come to pass. Somebody said, well, you know, that's because with God, time is, you know, doesn't matter. Well, if I tell you, I'm, hallelujah. If I tell you, Gavin, go get the car ready. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming very shortly. In 2022 years from now, I hadn't showed up yet. Number one, I didn't live long enough. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm just trying to get us to think about some of these things. That these guys meant what they said, and they said what they meant, and they were talking about some things that was imminent in the first century. We've got to at least consider the possibilities that these guys really were talking about the end of something. And we're going to get, we're going to get more specific as we get into this. But 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, 
verse number one, uh, uh, one through eleven. I don't have this. Actually, I don't have this printed out on my. Can you bring that up for me? Hallelujah. Can, can you go up to verse one? I know I didn't give you all of this, but let me let me just go ahead and read the context of this. If is it possible? Go to verse one and then come down through eleven. Are we good? You're still not too nervous? Say, I love you, Brother Lynn. What? <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Moreover, the brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. Next verse. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All did eat the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. But let us, nor let us, uh, let us act immorally as some of them did, and, and 23,000 fell in one day. Next verse. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the serpents. Next verse. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our admonition or our instruction upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages have come. Does anybody have, a, anybody have King James Bible with you? Anybody in the room? Would you read that scripture for me uh, and read it, read it loud enough that I can hear it? It said, now these things happened to them. Bring that scripture back up and keep it on the screen just for a moment if you could. I want want you to see this. This is powerful to me. Now, all these things happened as an example, and they are written for our admonition. Do you have the King James, my friend? 11? Watch this. The original King James, this is a game changer to me. The original King James says, these things are written for our admonition, and they were written for us upon. Watch this. Read it for me again. They happened as examples, and they were written for our admonition. Now, he's talking to a first century church at Corinth. Go ahead. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Do you see this word in King James? Upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the moment we think into the world, we're thinking in terms of a global collapse. Except that the Greek word here for world, and in many places in the King James, is mistranslated. The word that would be used as a globe or cosmos is actually the Greek word that you see translated correctly in this one, and even New King James. Go home and look it up. It's the Greek word eon. So it was not the end of the world as in a global collapse. It was the end of the ages. That's a game changer. Why is that? Because when we're talking, there's a difference between the end of the world and the end of the age. 
And what's really cool is when you start seeing a lot of the places where this word has been used and mistranslated, it starts to shift you to say, okay, it was the end. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.